0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Welcome to New Books in Critical Theory. It's a podcast that's part of the New Books Network. On this episode, I'm talking to Paolo Serafini about creating worlds otherwise, art, collective action, and post-extractivism. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Um, This is a fascinating book. It's an incredibly rich book. There is a huge amount of both uh, practical case studies, um, and some incredibly important, I think, uh, given the current context, uh, theoretical contributions as well. And to delve in um, to the richness of the book, I suppose we, we can probably start with the title. Um, and I'm intrigued by this word extractivism, um, and I guess the kind of uh, the construction in the title of post-extractivism. So so what is that? What What, what is the, the kind of the idea behind this term and i guess kind of how the book um sort of critiques it as well
1: sure um, so extractivism is a term uh, it's been defined by some as an organizing concept we can also understand it as a framework uh, it began being theorized in latin america in the last couple of decades and it refers to um it can actually refer to a few different things so the most common use is referring to an economic model That relies heavily on the extractive industries. And those include things like fracking, open pit mining, um, also um, large scale um, agriculture, you know, monoculture, factory agriculture, but also other things like deforestation and those kinds of intensive um, practices of extraction that are quite harmful to ecosystems, but that also generate a series of consequences for populations uh, and, and for. For the environment more broadly. Um, But extractivism can also be understood as a political regime or as a logic. And the reason I I decided to use this framework to talk about social environmental conflicts in Latin America is that it is a situated framework. So it situates these kinds of conflicts and the paradigm of development in a context that emerged in colonialism. So extractivism nowadays, it is characterized by things like fracking and open pit mining, but it actually goes back to the colonization of the continent and this idea of Latin America as a region that provides nature to the colonial powers. And we can see that that relationship is still in place today. So that's why I thought it was the appropriate framework rather than talking about um, capitalism or neoliberalism or Accumulation by dispossession, extractivism is a framework that emerges in Latin America and that explains the current dynamic uh, through its history as well.
2: But extra- yeah. yeah so- Oops. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no I was going to say you know you, you'd mentioned the Latin American context actually, and, and Argentina really um, kind of it, 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 it's really clear why why it's important as a as a really crucial site for the book. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, and I think Latin America. Um, is a crucial place to look at today, um, precisely because we are in the midst of hopefully a transition, um, a sociological transition, an energy transition, but how we conduct that transition is crucial. And when we hear about green energy and renewables, um, there is often a side of it that is hidden, and that is a side of extraction. Um, so, for instance, in the case of lithium, and I don't get to discuss this, Uh, much in the book, but um, lithium is, um, you know, 80% of the reserves of lithium are right now uh, in between Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. And the way that lithium is extracted to make batteries for electric cars and other kinds of gadgets, um, that is really, really polluting and um, devastating to local communities. And that is not spoken about. So I think We don't just need to talk about climate change um, and ecological breakdown, but also about extraction as something that needs to change. So if we move towards a green economy, but we perpetuate the same dynamics of exploitation and and ecological devastation in the global South, then we're not really moving towards a good place. So that's why I think Latin America is really important to look at right now.
2: The book isn't just a um, critique of, um, extractivist um, practice, and, and as you'd mentioned, you know, kind of situating that within a broader history of, of colonialization. It, it's also a book about art you know, it, it's it's a, a kind of a an aesthetics book as much as it is um, an ecological or perhaps a, a political book. And one of the things I, I was quite taken by was uh, the book has, um, I guess, a kind of set of aesthetic standards um, that. Um, that run through it, you you know, the book is not just a kind of a description of, you know, here are how particular artistic practices have resisted or here are how particular artistic practices have, you know, highlighted um, extractivist uh, activities or or anything like that. Actually, you you kind of make judgments about uh, what is good, um, you know, kind of art art almost in in, in the book. And and you've got these kind of five... um, standards for, for, for these d- judgments about what um, kind of good um anti-extractivist and, and perhaps more generally um good uh, artistic practice might be um they come up kind of throughout the book and, and we'll re- return to them re- repeatedly i think when we think about the examples but i wonder if you could kind of like give a brief sketch of denunciation documentation democratization And deconstruction. Um, And I've missed one. Uh, Design. (laughs) And design as well, yes. Thank you. Um, So, yeah, could could you introduce them for me?
1: Sure. So, yeah, I guess what I wanted to do was create a framework that was contextualized and that would allow us to better understand the social and political function of art in context marked by extractivism. Um, so rather than setting a standard, I guess I was looking at the different practices and trying to identify what kind of functions they activated. And some practices would focus more towards one function, such as denouncing a particular practice. Another would incorporate, others would incorporate um, a few different uh, functions in the work. So denunciation refers, that they're quite self um Explanatory, but, but denunciation refers precisely to denouncing the effects of extractivism. And this is particularly important in, in the context of Argentina and other Latin American countries, because there is a complete negation um, of what is happening in the media. So a lot of things don't get reported on. Uh, and people are silenced. Doctors who identify, for instance, um, diseases caused by the use of, of pesticides and herbicides uh, when they want to say, hey, we have this population experiencing all of these issues because of, of the planes that, that spread these um, toxics over them, uh, they get silenced by local government. Uh, when journalists want to write about this, they don't get the space to write about it. So art fulfills a function of denouncing in the absence of other platforms to talk about this. Um, and similarly with documentation, and by the way, these are all terms that I kind of picked up from the way that artists talk about the practice themselves rather than imposing um, concepts on it. Um, art can also serve the function of documenting what is happening when that documentation is not happening. Uh, and I think uh, a key example of this is a photography of Pablo Giovano, who is a photojournalist. And he started recording the effects of these um, what they call agrotoxicos or agrotoxics. And this included malformations and, and really horrible diseases. And uh, he actually got recognized abroad before his work was exhibited in in Buenos Aires. He couldn't publish it as photojournalism, so he had to send it abroad and be part of... um, He participated in some contests and awards. Once he gave recognition, he was exhibited as an artist in Argentina. Uh, But then his work was used as evidence for um, a case that was presented to, uh, if I remember correctly, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights i probably got this on i have a terrible memory sorry but it was for a case about um the rights of children to safe environment so these photos were actually showcased as evidence um and it's not the only case um then when we talk about democratization it's about creating spaces democratic spaces to talk about these issues and to talk about other ways of living other ways of of governance and of engaging with nature and with the commons and with resources And artistic practices that are collaborative, that are open, can create those spaces. And in turn, what that does is democratizing the narratives about development, for instance. So there is this very ingrained imaginary of development and modernization that are supposed to come from the revenues of extracting nature. And that narrative is so um, core to to much of Latin America that it's very difficult to, to challenge it. And what art does is create a space for democratizing our ideas of, okay, well, what kind of development what do we want? Or what kind of life do we want? What do we mean by well-being? What does it mean to us? Then we have deconstruction, which um, the way that I employ this term is by referring to the way that artistic practice can denaturalize concepts that have been normalized, such as this culture-nature divide, also in the case of gender, um, I, I borrow from the feminist movement in Argentina and how we talk about the deconstruction of masculinity. So it is about challenging these ideas that have been taken for granted about um, the environment, about the economy, uh, and about how we move forward as a country and as a region. And then finally we have design, and that would be the more constructive function. And it is about the way that art can design other ways of living, So other imaginaries, other visions, but also putting them into practice through the way that art develops its own mechanisms. So its own economies, its own forms of organizing, its own forms of relating to each other.
2: Across those um, different areas, and I'd mentioned kind of they, they come up throughout the book, but you've also got... Um, And actually, the photojournalism um, crossing over into uh, a legal theoretical context is is a really nice example of this. Throughout the book, you've got quite a broad um, and and I think quite eclectic um, version or or vision um, of what artistic practice is. And and it's really nicely illustrated um, in the opening chapter, actually. So you've got a combination of a case study of of an exhibition, which, you know, we'd kind of um I suppose be, you know, sort of expecting, um, but also um you draw on a, a series of, I guess, kind of lectures, performances, um, around territory in, in in conflict and and art and territory, I think is the translation of the um exhibition title. Um and I'm fascinated by how these kind of illustrate those uh, five functions that you've just been talking about, but also I I, I guess um the way that you've got quite a broad version of what art is and, and can be uh, throughout the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in chapter one, um, I talk about work that um, develops around the idea of territory. Um, territory is a really important framing concept in Argentina. Um, and the two examples you mentioned um, the first is territories and conflicts, and the other, yeah, as you said, was um, territories and conflict. Sorry, um, Arte en Territorio. Territorio. Uh, There's actually another series that's called Arte y Territorio. So (laughs) it sometimes gets a bit confusing that um, the word territory has such prominence. But anyway, the the cycle um, Territorios en Conflicto um, is a cycle of six performance lectures. And this was a bit of an experimental cycle where... um, The two curators wanted to give place to uh, visual artists and researchers and activists. So people who don't necessarily have a background in the performing arts or in theater to occupy the space of the national theater and to talk about these different territorial conflicts that occur in different parts of the country. So we have um, we had sessions about, um, again, the use of agrotoxics. Then we had one about the demise of the rails. And another one, for instance, about language, uh, indigenous language as a territory uh, in conflict and and in danger of of disappearing. So it was interesting to bring all of these different conflicts to Buenos Aires, to the capital, because precisely one of the problems is that the capital seems to be isolated from what's happening in the rest of the country. Um, That was actually one of the reasons I wanted to write this book, um, was that I was abroad and I started hearing about these things through social media things like spills from from mines um and the effects of fracking and when I, I was asking my family in Buenos Aires they had no idea what I was talking about uh and that concern and I was like well wh- how is anyone else going to know about this um anyone who doesn't speak Spanish for instance so that's why I wanted to write the book um but yeah so so that was quite an experimental um cycle um it didn't get the recognition that the artists and curators were hoping for, and the suspicion there was that it was because of the political content. Um, but it was an act of denunciation. Um, it was a, Bringing that to a national theatre was in itself a political act. And the example of the exhibition that you mentioned, um, Arte en Territorio, is a very different kind of work. It's also it's an exhibition also in a public venue, um, but it had an ethos of community art and participation. And what the curators wanted to showcase was art that emerged from different communities, um, different territories, and that allowed different experiences of art practice and different ways of taking over, taking back that territory. So we had, for instance, Um, a collective that was working with marginalized uh, children and young adults, um, teaching them photography and allowing them to share their experiences of of the city through their photos. Then we have the work of a collective that has um, started a cultural center in the public space and they have been advocating to try to get the legal right to use that space as a cultural center, which hasn't been uh, granted Yet or it hadn't been graded, granted at the time of the exhibition, so their participation in the exhibition was part of that appeal to legalize something that was happening anyway, um, and that that has to do also with the design function, right? It's um, we are we are appealing to the rights, we are appealing to um, the rights we have as citizens in the system, but we are also looking for other avenues to do things. We are designing our own, own worlds, um, despite the rights that. The system affords us, Um, which is an interesting thing and which I also develop um, in other chapters in connection to the issue of rights and how we use how different groups have used um, the rights of nature or or the rights to territory to try to change the situation. But how also there is this realization that the framework of rights is not enough, um, that it is a tool, but that actually we are thinking beyond that. We are thinking about complete system transformation.
2: I mean, I, I'm actually keen to hear hear a bit more about that because it, it's one of the kind of central things that comes through in the middle of the book, this kind of sense of um, the almost indivisibility of human rights struggles, um, the battle against extractive practices and then um, artistic practice. So are there any kind of particularly uh, good examples from the book that you think illustrate that?
1: That illustrate, um,
2: sorry, the relationship between human rights struggles and, and how they play out in that, that set of artistic practices?
1: Yeah, um, I think there is there is a lot, and this is why it is important to contextualise um, this kind of study. And uh, that's why my claim when I present this this framework of five functions and when I write this book is, is about Argentina. It is um, a situated study. I think there is a lot of it that can be applied to other contexts. But my claim is just to describe what's happening in this context, right? And I think what is very important in in Argentina, that's why there's a whole chapter dedicated to human rights, is the history of human rights activism that emerged from the series of dictatorships that we had, and especially the last one from 76 to 83. Uh, There was a huge human rights movement that emerged in response, and um, that movement has been the key political referent uh, for movements that came after. Um, so we can see, for instance, how the movements against extractivism now and for social environmental justice draw from the tropes uh, and the codes and the symbols of that movement, and how they frame also issues of extractivism as matters of human rights, uh, the right to a safe environment, uh, the right to to life, and also the right to protest, because a lot of these Uh, Movements have been severely repressed by the police, particularly when it comes to indigenous groups fighting for their territory. Um, So they are fighting at the same time for their ancestral land and for the recognition of of their land and against the the advance of the extractive frontier on their land. Um, And what's interesting is that in the case of of indigenous groups um, involved in such struggles... um, they don't really recognise the, the framework of, of the law and of private property of the law. Um, they, they have a vision that is uh, completely different to that. They see themselves as, this particular case of the Mapuche um, nation, they see themselves as belonging to the land, but still they have to resort to those rights in order to, to protect themselves in the now, right? Um, so we see how there is a different cosmovision, a different world but at the same time, a kind of negotiation with with the frameworks of the colonial states um, of Argentina. That needs to happen in order to protect rights. And it's the same with the rights of nature. Um, You know, uh, countries like Ecuador have had the the rights of nature in their constitution for over a decade now. Um, It is a bit problematic that that hasn't really um, been sustained as much as it should and that there are other things um, other aspects of the law and the way we govern the commons that contradict that uh, but at the same time we try to um, to fight for those laws in order to advance certain changes in the now while we also look for more profound ontological changes
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
2: Um, it, it, it's a really important element of, of the book's discussion of uh, feminism and I, and I guess kind of specifically ecofeminism, because uh, you try and draw in um, examples from beyond Argentina and you know Ecuador and, and Bolivia that you have um, sort of re- referred to already. And I know you, you've just kind of stressed and you've been sort of at pains to stress the importance um, of the Argentinian context and contextualising um, many of, of the examples in the specific history and dynamics of, of the Argentinian states. But I'm also quite keen uh, that, that we sort of foreground the way that the book does go beyond that. So um, could you say, or, or, or could you kind of lay out um, the book's engagement with ecofeminism and I guess how that's useful for doing uh, cross-national comparisons? Great, yeah,
1: great question. Um, I... I framed the second chapter around ecofeminism because um, it is a growing um, movement and field. Um, And the reason I drew in comparisons from or other cases from Bolivia and Ecuador was also to make a point about how we're talking about feminisms in plural uh, and not just feminism. Um, because if you ask many people, for instance, in the UK about feminism in Latin America, they might point to the recent wave, um, the new Menos, the, the abortion rights wave, um, which is a kind of more mainstream uh, feminism, um, which has definitely had a huge impact and has transformed society and has had international repercussions as well. But it is important to also look at the pro- pro- plurality of feminisms, Uh, that we have and how, even though there is a common threat in Latin America, they're very different experiences. So, for instance, um, in in Bolivia, we see a lot of community feminisms um, or community anti-patriarchal movements uh, that perhaps use that word other than instead of identifying as feminists and that have um, a deep engagement with coloniality as well so they talk about the patriarchy and coloniality in the same way and the, ex- the example that i share is of mujeres creando um, which is a collective that has done a lot of radical stuff um, and they talk about also um, lgbt issues and coloniality and patriarchy at the same time and the extraction of resources so the way that they weave in all of these issues is different um, than the way we see it in argentina um, so that's why I thought it was worth um, mentioning it even though there are a lot of exchanges between the countries um, more and more we, we see lately but I thought it was interesting to to mention it and the way we see it in, in artwork as well um, in within Argentina there is a lot of variety uh, of expressions um, we see work that, like the work of Paolo lunch who is an artist from patagonia from Nurken she engages with the petrol industry but also with the toxic masculinity of the petrol industry um, and relates that to to the violence on the territory um, and then we see um, other artists who are doing mural art uh, and they talk about uh, the defense of territory and the defense of body and the defense of water uh, and they create visual narratives that tie these things together, um, but perhaps from a different standpoint. Paul Lunch refers more to biopolitics, uh, whereas um, other artists might take a different standpoint. So I wanted to show a bit of that plurality and also talk about um, the issues and controversies within the mainstream feminist movement, which nowadays has become more intersectional and more engaged with indigenous issues and Afro issues, um, and territorial issues, but at the beginning perhaps there was a bit of, of a struggle, and actually nowadays there's still some struggles with um, naming the national gathering of, women's, of women, which used to be called the um, Encuentro Nacional de Mujeres, and there's been a movement to change it um, to a national gathering of, um, sorry, plurinational gathering to recognize the different nations in what nowadays is the Argentine territory, but also of lesbians, trans, non-binary, uh, intersex and there's been a, a struggle there. It appeared like that had gone forward and in the end it hasn't. So so there's still a lot of work to do.
2: The second half of the book, or maybe the sort of uh, later parts of the book, um, engage with, with two topics that um, I, I think have, have become really sort of uh, central to many um, discussions um, in in the kind of um, urban context and, and also in uh, a lot of now, I guess, kind of mainstream um, art theory. One is to do with questions of kind of gentrification and the role of, of art in, in the urban context, and the other is uh, the kind of uh, material conditions um, that artists work uh, work under. And we'll, we'll deal with, I, I think, those two in turn. On gentrification, which, you know, maybe a, a, a quite... Uh, sort of familiar concept uh, now. You, you introduced something um, in terms of, of a kind of new concept to get to grips with this, which is uh, cultural extractivism. And I, I was kind of fascinated by that, partially because I, I think it adds um, a, a new um, kind of useful theoretical tool um, to, to how we think about and understand gentrification and resistance, but also it directly relates things like gentrification to the broader um, anti-extractivist and, and kind of ecological context so, so how does cultural extractivism kind of work and, and how you know should we sort of understand it in that sort of um, urban setting Thanks I think that was a good a really good introduction to it so <laughs> thank you
1: um, yeah it, it all emerged from from another concept which is um, urban extractivism and um, we which is a concept developed by academics and activists um, in Argentina they published a book a few years ago. And what it tries to do is to connect the dynamics of oppression and dispossession and extraction in the city to those happening in rural areas, so that we don't consider um, those dynamics as separate, but actually as interrelated. And an example they use is, for instance, the commodification of housing is related also to the commodification of, of crops. And the waves of migration of people who are displaced from rural areas because of the advance of these new forms of of um, farming then affect the conditions um in the city so so building on that i wanted to look at how um, these dynamics of yeah this logic of extraction we could say in in the cultural sector things like co-optation, commodification um oppression um were linked to these other um, aspects of an extractivist system so So I thought cultural extractivism would be a good way to examine dynamics such as culture-led gentrification and computation of culture in a context such as Argentina, which is marked by extractivism, and in which the creative industries um, and cultural organizations are sometimes also explicitly um, supporting and linked to the extractive sector. So if you look at who funds certain things or who sponsors certain things, there are connections there quite you know, um, tangible material connections. So it was a way of looking at, on the one hand, the reproduction of the logic of extraction in the cultural sector, and on the other hand, also looking at the way in which culture can perpetuate um, the supremacy, we can say, of of an extractivist model.
2: I mean, the the other thing that's important, I think both within uh, cultural extractivism and, and then kind of more generally, is how artists will work you, you know how um artists are given you know kind of status w- w- within these uh, movements and, and moments and actually it's quite useful that you've alluded to the almost you know ambivalent um actions of some cultural organizations which can be heavily implicated uh actually in, in things like gentrification um but I'm, I'm interested to know what the implications of your analysis are for what it's like to be a working artist, you you know, what the sort of um, purpose and function of of an artist is more generally. And I guess how artists can be kind of properly supported um, to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Wow, really big question. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, towards the end of the book, I talk uh, a bit more. The the issue of artists as workers comes up at different points. Um, I talk, for instance, about the idea of autogestion, which... I Guess could be translated as um, self managed art or self organized artistic practice, and it would be a kind of practice that is not that stays away from the commercial um, creative industries and the commercial art practice, but also stays at least partially independent um, from state funded um, practice. Um, it is in many cases, uh, a position and a way of working that emerges out of need, but then it can also be a chosen political um, position to take. Um, A lot of artists don't feel comfortable receiving money from the state because they don't want to um, support in any way the line of government and also they don't want to commercialise their practice, so they choose this position of, of autogestion. But then again, what comes with that, as we know, is a lot of precarity. Um, so, what do you do when you're an artist, or, or especially when you're an organizer who wants to organize work involving other uh, artists and cultural workers, but you want to, on the one hand, uh, pursue a political, a particular political position, and on the other hand, um, respect their rights as workers and be mindful of their needs and be careful and create uh, a culture of care? Um, that's a very difficult position to be in. It's difficult to be. I mean, it's a position that artists find themselves in all over the world, obviously. Um, but I wanted to interrogate a bit that. Um, and I talked about the example of CLIA, which is um, a collective of publishers and artists um, and curators. And they organise these amazing um, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary events. One, uh, they also did, during the pandemic, they turned into a virtual event, which was quite innovative. And they they invite people who are at the front lines of extractivism to share their knowledge uh, to share their practice, and they they manage to to get funds for those events, um, and at the same time, they are very critical of the creative industries um, as as a kind of way of of understanding and promoting artistic practice. So it is about negotiating the needs in the now, but also continuing to imagine another way of of living and of making art. And that's why when I briefly mentioned things like um, visions of a universal basic income um, as a solution, um, but this, these these sort of debates are ongoing um, in different places. So it was my way of kind of contributing to that.
2: There's all, all kinds of other, almost kind of conversations that come uh, from the from the book, I think, and we, we've you know sort of barely scratched the surface, particularly in terms of the rich. Uh, number of examples um, from. Artistic practices and artistic movements. And I'm sort of wary of of, um, ignoring your comments about the importance of both the Argentinian and and the Latin American context. Um, Sometimes in these conversations, there can be an element of, you know, well, that's kind of a fascinating bit of area studies, but, you know, how is it relevant to struggles in Britain or struggles in the United States, struggles in Western Europe? Um, But the book actually does have lots of lessons um, for, for more global. Uh, struggles, both in terms of um, how we might judge artistic practice, but also in terms of connecting um, to struggles for climate uh, justice and, and, and social justice. And I wonder if, um, as maybe a concluding question, you'd mind kind of teasing out some of the, I suppose, lessons that come from the book, um, and particularly the book's kind of broader theoretical framework.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the first lessons I would highlight is that Art has a potential not just to represent problems or to talk about the climate change or to engage people with the issue or to solicit responses and reflections, but art also has a potential to to create other ways of doing, to put into practice other economies, other socialities. Um, And that's why I was looking into art that emerges from or at the side of um, movement, social movements, and that's why the book also has collective action in the title. So, I am looking at specific kinds of practices, um, but then I think it's very important to to consider, as you said, what we can learn from from social movements and artistic practice in other contexts. Something that frustrated me a lot for a long time was the narratives about the environment that emerged from mainstream environmental movements in the UK. Um, about the future and, you know, the ecological crisis being something that's about to happen uh, and it's about safeguarding the future for children and it is about biodiversity and it is about um, global warming and obviously it is about all of those things but also extractivism is the, the kind of hidden side of that. Um, as I said before, even even the plans for, for a transition, the mainstream kind of, Green capitalism plans for a socio-ecological transition rely on continuing to explode um, Africa and Latin America. Um, so it is really important that those voices are heard, um, that we understand the social justice dimension also of an ecological transition, and an energy transition. Um, so I, that's why I think that understanding... Um, what it is like to be in a place marked by extractivism, understanding um, the fallacies um, of development um, and of development aid, and of all of the problems with international trade and the dependency that a lot of countries are locked into, uh, is really crucial to actually advocate for a more just and um, ecologically stable future. Um, So, yeah, that's, I guess, the main message that I wanted to send. And in terms of the framework, I think this framework of five functions, denunciation, documentation, democratization, deconstruction, and design, which ended up being five days by chance, by the way. I didn't force it. It, It's funny how it ended up being that way. Um, I think it can give us really valuable tools to understand this potential of of art um, in context of violence, of ecological destruction, of um, lack of democratic platforms, um, as theorists who want to understand things but also as practitioners because I've always been a bit in between the practice and the theory myself and I think it's useful to think about practice in that way as well to understand the potential um, of work, of our work and, and these ideas can be applied to other contexts just taking into consideration what works differently there what are the barriers there, what are the challenges Because the functions emerge in response to the particular challenges of the context. And that's why I say that the framework is contextualized. That doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to other contexts. It just means that we need to consider whether the barriers are the same, whether they're slightly different, whether other functions are also there. And I think the framework is very much complementary to other work we have on the the social and political role of art. Um, before my my first book was about was a bit more general in terms of what art can do as activism, um, and I think those things still apply, but they're more general and universal. And this is a way of complementing those ideas that you know the acquired knowledge that we have of art as a communicator, art as something that evokes affect, emotion. Um, yeah, that still stands. But also, we can apply this more specific uh, ideas to, to the context we find ourselves
2: in right now. I think quite early on in the book, um, you say something like uh, the book is, is a product of, um, I think it's over over 12 years of, of sort of research um, and, and theorizing. And, and actually, as you've just mentioned, you know, being somewhat in between the worlds of activism, art practice and and and, academia. and and in that context, I, you know, it, it seems almost kind of a, a bit flippant to say, so what are you working on next then? Um, but there is an element, I think, and, and actually you know, some of the uh, possible lessons from the book you, you've just outlined, that there's a research agenda that could flow you know, from this book. And I, I could see actually how it might give rise to many more books. Or are you kind of moving to, you know, new research agendas and, and thinking about, um kind of new and, and different things having I guess set out this more sort of programmatic um set of ideas with with creating worlds otherwise?
1: Um, there are a few different things I would like to do. Um, before I was leaning more towards the studying up dimension, so more the, the cultural extractivism route and examining in more detail the webs of power um in the cultural sector in Argentina. Um, And then also doing a more transnational thing of of extractivism and culture, which I think might still happen. I just need to kind of find time to write up that because I have quite a bit of research on that. Um, But then I'm also very interested in working more practically with the issue of socio-ecological transitions and the role of art in socio-ecological transitions so um i'm hoping to i'm starting to work on that but you know how it is funding dependent time dependent um i will be working on that in in the following years